uh, other broadcasts take note or maybe not if you're trying to you know make your students look civil <laughs> with the fan shots hello and welcome to at the 55 your home for oua football nate and i are back to go over a absolutely fetch weekend of oua football zach stop trying to make fetch happen it's not gonna happen if that wasn't too obvious of a Mean Girls reference, we had to, of course, shout out that it is October 3rd, Mean Girls Day. And while I'm sure we would love to play up a number of other antics and gimmicks related to that legendary movie from our childhood, there's just too much juicy stuff that happened this weekend in the OUA to continue talking about anything but OUA football. So let's start it out with our Who's Back of the Week. I'll go first on this one related to the Panda game. I'm going with a who's back, Mr. Jonathan Edward, or as people know him by, John Doe. Despite Carlton getting the loss, it was great to watch number two ball out, particularly on Carlton's punt coverage. He was always just the first man down there. And the reason I want to highlight him as the who's back, even though he's been playing this year, going back to the 2019 season, as an American, he had a little bit of trouble with his status in Canada and ended up having to miss a a chunk of that year. So it's great to have John Doe back in the OUA. Unfortunately, his he was on the losing side, of course, in that game. But we'll get to that shortly. Um, but yeah, shout out to shout out to you, John Doe, making uh, making specials making specials cool again. So uh, that's my who's back, Nate. Who who do you got here? I've got madness. I've got chaos. I've got anarchy. I mean, I feel like it just keeps getting better and better every week. Sort of all the drama, all the problems that's going on in the OUA. I flip and live for that stuff and uh you know obviously a number of surprising outcomes i mean windsor over guelph um that western laurier game was huh suspiciously close <laughs> up until the end before western kind of pulled away in like the last minute um and then sort of something we thought maybe was going to be close waterloo mac and mac kind of re reintroduced themselves uh back to the oa don't forget defending champs guys so uh yeah a lot of different things going on and uh it's really i'm having trouble kind of Keep, keep track of it all. My head's spinning here, Zach. Yeah, no, I, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I'll be the first to admit, despite this kind of undercutting our uh, ability to, you know, uh, predict and to make uh, educated guesses on things in the only way. But frankly, I have no idea what's going on here. But does that want, make me want to stop doing what we do? Hell no. I'm just going to dive in even deeper with the picks, with the bad picks in my case. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, we'll go over our picks for our own players of the week. Starting the offensive side of the ball, oh my gosh, I almost want to abstain from picking because no because there are just too many good selections, and I know that by picking one, that obviously means I'm not going to pick any other, and I can't just pick everybody, so I want to go with the guy who, you know, man, really just, I think had the, I think had the best weekend any player, Andreas Duick for the McMaster Marauders, 28 for 33 for 355 yards, three TDs, no interceptions. You know, you watch him under pressure. He moves around the pocket so well. He's got the arm. And you know what? He's just the perfect conductor for that offense, how they like to get so many people involved. And, you know, I we'll get to that game, so I won't say much more on it then. But, I mean, until then. But, you know, wow. That was as good a performance I think I've seen by any quarterback in the time we've been following the OUA and in these you know few years doing this podcast as any of I've ever seen that was one of the best outings start to finish tremendous game by Andreas Duick 
Loki shot to me. Uh, what about my game, Zach? I had some good games. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I think we'd be remiss, you know, for my guy. We'd be, we'd be remiss for giving Windsor a bit of love. I mean, coming up with the upset win. Uh, so I'm going to shout out for my offensive player of the week, David Adeniran. The running back obviously had a tremendous game, was able to sort of, you know, chip away at that Guelph defense as the game went on. 26 carries, 130 yards. Um, and, you know, what really stood out to me in kind of this performance is, you know, the Guelph defense had a pretty good day. I would say 14 points held is obviously very good. But, you know, Guelph punted with two and a half minutes left and didn't get the ball back. So, you know, David was obviously a big part of closing that game out as well. So wanted to shout him out for player of the week on offense. Yeah, no, I mean, that... I think maybe we just, given how the year's gone, we need to throw out the notion of upsets because maybe it's really just hammering home, like I said, that we really don't know anything. I don't think anyone really knows much because if you follow social media, it was just surprises all around. But great pick. Shout out to the Lancers, and we'll get into that one absolutely. Uh, moving to the defensive side of the ball. Oh, man, another tough one because oh, just so many great performances this weekend. Uh, and honestly, I I'm kind of just filibustering at this point because I'm still a little undecided. But, you know... I got to go with a friend of the show. You mentioned the Windsor Guelph game and in, in talking about the running back there. And I got to shout out another guy from the losing side of the equation, albeit, but AJ Allen, seven solos, 10 assists for 17 tackles in total. It, it honestly looks goofy on the box score, seeing that many tackles. You know, for those who know AJ, he's been a stud there, that sort of D line linebacker position for them for a few years, spent some time in a CFL camp. And, Man, when you watch him just standing in at middle linebacker, he looks just different than anyone else around. There was one time he chased Gerard down going out of the pocket. He just closed on him so quick. He just looks bigger. He looks faster. And, I mean, the proof's in the pudding when you look at the, the production he puts up. So, you know, a uh, hell of a job by him, uh, that loss, you know. <laughs> Can't can't really put much of that on his on his very large shoulders. So just shout out to him despite the loss. Who do you have uh, on, for defense there? Yeah, I'm gonna go somewhere from the MAC defense. You know, obviously they had a tremendous game, and and most of all the DBs played a huge part in that. So I'm gonna shout out Nolan Putt from the MAC defense. Seven solo tackles, nine total, and a forced fumble on the day. As long as as well as a pass breakup. So really kind of leading the way for that defense as. They held that explosive, high-charged Waterloo offense to 14 points on the day, I believe. So, you know, had to shout them out. Congrats. I, I can't tell. Was that low-key like an impression of me talking about <laughs> Waterloo there? I don't know. Well, it's, we'll, it's, we'll, the OU, it's the OUA media at large, Zach. The OUA oh, yeah. media at large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those fat cats, yes, in the OUA media. Well, moving over to special teams, got to highlight a guy out of the game I was able to see live. That is... Uh, Savon Magnate Jones, receiver for the Western Mustangs. And, you know, uh, a game where if you look at the box score, just look at the outcome, you might think that Western handled their business no problem, but this was a nail-biter. Honestly, such a fun game to be at. And the tide really turned when it was either late in the third, early in the fourth. Uh, you know, Laurier backed up in their own zone, punting away. Magnate Jones takes it around their 50, Laurier's 50 takes it to the house, and then it was just all Western from there moving forward. So that was really the bolt or the jolt or the whatever Western needed to really get themselves moving and uh, roll to what, like I said, in the end looked like a, 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 
a strong victory, but we'll we'll get into that one a little bit uh, in, in a little bit. Shout out to Magnate Jones. Who do you like on the specials? You know, that was a clutch play by Magnate Jones, obviously crucial part of the game. Uh, I'm going to go with maybe the clutchest of clutch plays on the day. And uh, I'm going to shout out Campbell Fair, the kicker from Ottawa, who obviously nailed the 45-yarder for the win in that one to win the Panda game. Obviously, such an immense kick and was also three for three on the day. So shout out to a Kingston guy. You know, those Kingston guys, they always have a close place to my heart, Zach. So shout out to you, Campbell Fair. Hey, you got to shout out the guy getting the win in the biggest game of the week. And that's where we're going to be starting our breakdowns with the, you know, our, I'll say, I'll say to be fair, we couldn't have not picked the Panda game for game of the week, no matter what we thought of the two teams. Even if we thought that Carlton was a hundred point, you know, a hundred points better going this one or anything ridiculous like that. It's always going to be the pick, but our game of the week finally proved out to be the game of the week. Final score in this one, the Ottawa GGs 19, the Carlton Ravens 17 in front of what looked like a packed house at TD Place in Ottawa. We set this spread at Ottawa plus three, so pardon me, plus three and a half. So, you know, if you were taking Ottawa in that one, you got them just by virtue of the win over under on points 37 and a half. And if my bad math skills are at least a little bit decent, we went over with 38 points on the day, so just sneaking it out there. And then as far as our player props, Nathan Carter, the line on the over-under for him set at 94.5 rushing, which he went over with 108, which also made him the all-time leading rusher for the Carlton Ravens, which was awesome to see. Now, Nate, going into this one, there was a few things we were talking about. You know, overall, this thing, of course, is just the magic pixie dust that we've kind of talked about with some of these big geographic rivalries of anything can kind of happen. And the Panda, more than perhaps any of the other matchups, bear this out year after year. We talked about the quarterback position at Carlton. Was Tanner going to be there? Was he not? And it's shown now that it looks like he's out for the rest of the season. We talked about the Carlton running game and seeing only Nathan Carter and having a great game last week. But seeing Ferguson, were we going to get both? We did. But then we saw your boy, Ben Miracle, as you called it out. Would he be able to lead the charge for his Ottawa GGs? Would this Ottawa GG running attack that I've been very excited for be able to finally come together? And all that kind of got mixed in the pot with the little fairy dust, and it led to another GG's victory in the Panda. What were you thinking watching this one? What kind of thoughts have you had getting to sort of mull over this experience? Well, watching the broadcast, uh, Zach, what really stood out to me is is – the quality of the broadcast. I mean, it, they did a great job, and, <laughs> and the best part of this game for me, um, aside from the the play, of course, was the constant fan shots, seemingly between every single play. They kept cutting the fans, you know, dancing, you know, cussing into the camera, giving fingers, and you know, there was all kinds of stuff going on during the game. So, uh, very fascinating, very entertaining. Uh, other broadcasts take note or maybe not if you're trying to, you know, make your students look civil <laughs> with the fan shots. So, I, you know, man, hilarious. I had a really good time watching that game. Um, as you mentioned, you know, it was nice seeing Ottawa get the running game going. Um, obviously, Carlton defense is a good defense. You know what I mean? So to do that against them, that's impressive. Um, Miracle with an all right day. Obviously saw him go out late in the game. Uh, quarterbacks, learn how to slide, please, because, you know, with Ben Miracle, you know, tried to pull up a, on a slide attempt and ended up just kind of stuttering his feet and falling backwards. And it looked like some kind of lower body injury, guys. So uh, 
figure that one out, guys. Okay, we don't don't want any injuries on sliding. That's the whole point of it is to avoid the injuries. <laughs> so um, that's not good for Ottawa. Obviously, um, Carlton uh, extremely limited by their quarterback play. Um, to be honest, you know, running the ball. Obviously, they have a strong running attack, but. It, at times, you know, struggling, evil, complete wide receiver screen passes and things like that, you know, it was very, very tough sledding for them on the day. Um, obviously, weather played into that as well. Um, but, you know, uh, it also going late in the game gave gave Carlton the Ottawa, gave Carlton the opportunity for turnovers. And uh, I won't lie to you, I was in complete shambles having picked Ottawa late in the game <laughs> to see them with those fumbles late in the game and with the yeah. backup quarterback, Zach. I thought it was done. I was done for. You know what I mean? I, But, um, you know, lo and behold, got a couple big plays and Campbell Fair came through for me, you know, to seal the pick for me. So, you know, I was a happy man for sure. Well, I mean, you mentioned a lot of really good stuff in, in that breakdown and, and talking about, and I'll probably mispronounce his name, but having Reed uh, Van Kunit, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, in at quarterback, 7 for 15, 43 yards, one touchdown, no picks. Uh, you know, obviously not the strongest performance, but it really highlights something that ultimately kind of makes me a little sad, which is that, you know, uh, a mediocre performance at quarterback compared to what we've had from Carlton at Taron Young so far this year, it really highlights that the rest of this team is really good. You mentioned that running game is solid, really strong receivers and a defense that stands up to year in, year out, that reputation of being a great defense. And so it's one of those things that it feels like every year, and you mentioned some of the quarterbacks and Nina Lerner's slide, where it feels like at least once a year there's a QB or just like a, a, a pretty seriously important player. They'll go down on a team and it's like, well, that's a really fun team. That was a team that had a shot and maybe a deep playoff run that I... <laughs> Maybe I'll be eating my words on this when we see Carlton come out next, but you know, without Taron Young, it's it seriously takes down their ceiling. Um, like I said, it highlights the fact that they still have a really strong team. But as you know, as well as anyone, you know, having that quarterback position um, set in place is is so important. So, like I said, it's it's maybe a good thing that it highlights that Carlton still has such a strong team there. But man, without Tanner in there. Um, and especially given that when you look at the East standings, aside from Queens, it is such a just, it's a dog's breakfast of guys competing with one another, you know, but on the Ottawa side of things, you mentioned Miracle and him going out. And once again, that's, oh, just an, another guy where seeing his progress he's made this year and, and we'll get to, you know, probably haven't said enough about JP Simonkin to the breakout game, but the receivers by Ottawa, this is a team that over the last few years has had a good receiving court. And you've talked a lot about Rodney Estime and the season he, season he's had already. Tristan Park, obviously, with the big reception for the touchdown in the first half. A couple other catches. Daniel Oladejo, friend of the show, with a couple huge pick, uh, um, receptions for them and a couple like circus catches, too. Um, and then seeing as well, like a guy like Dylan St. Pierre, a veteran on this receiving core. Uh, how do you feel as a you know someone who's played the position and coached the position? You know, obviously Matt Mahler's been with the team, doesn't have the reps as Miracle, but if they have to go with him, when you have a veteran receiver group like that, now seeing the running back core, how much can that make up for if they have to go with Mahler for an extended period of time versus what they've gotten out of Miracle? You know, it can make a big difference, and 
obviously it hurts having Miracle out, but, you know, I can kind of go back to, you know, my first season starting as a quarterback and I was fortunate enough to have a, a couple of vets there, a guy by the name of Doug Corby. I don't know if anyone remembers that guy. Um, another guy, Curtis Carmichael as well, you know, it, it makes a big difference because they fixed a lot of mistakes that I made for sure. And even those guys, Oladejo and, and Estimate, there are a lot of times where um, Miracle's taking deep shots and they're making plays. So I hope to see that part continue for the offense because, um, you know, it's really starting to feel like they were sort of, I don't want to necessarily want to say turning the season for them, but really improving. And it was really starting to look good for them at a certain point in the game. But now, obviously, there'll be questions going forward into uh, this York game next week. Absolutely. And, you know, just before we wrap this one up, you know, once again, just a big shout out to the performance by J.P. Simonkinda for you know, 22 rushes for 133 yards on the ground. And you know, as you already kind of alluded to, weather was a bit of a factor in this game. So just being able to grind out yards, chew down the clock, um, you know, turnovers late did become a bit of a, a thing for this team and make, uh, you know, GG fans and Ravens fans alike probably start biting your nails. But I mean, Cinda, Simakinda from the first series to the last was just nothing but consistent and uh, was obviously huge for them picking up this victory. So we'll, you know, this is where we'll get to see. We now have the rematch of the Ottawa Carlton game coming later this year. And, uh, you know, I'm sure after this one, that one will just be an absolute, uh, barn burner as well uh no love lost between these two teams but we will move on to our next game another one that uh well perhaps didn't go to plan uh as we perhaps thought we had the mcmaster marauders hosting the waterloo warriors mac takes this one 34 to 13 you know kind of like we set up with the western game in the, in the earlier part of the episode and we'll get to that one later you know, Mac was in control of this game, but you shouted out the defense, which I think is so important because Waterloo, you know, was making plays. It was in the start of that second half. They really looked like they had gotten it together and they were going to start rolling and they got the touchdown. They got the two point, everything like that. But even the first half, they were moving the ball. It was good to see Gordon Lamb really get his first breakout game at receiver for them, which, you know, despite the loss, if that's what comes out of this, it could be good for Waterloo. But Mac as far as what they were doing and, and, you know, talk about Andreas Duick and I'd love to get as someone who played against him and has watched him for a while, what you thought that performance, those drives for Mac in the first half weren't ending. We're, were always ending with points. It wasn't always a touchdown, but if it wasn't, it was a field goal. They were chewing up time where some of those warrior possessions weren't ending with points always. But so I, I guess I bring that up to say that like, I don't go out of this thinking that Mac is, you know, uh, like almost like a 21 point uh, favorite on the Warriors moving forward, Um, that this game was in some regards closer. But man, oh man, did Duick look good with that offense? What were your takeaways watching this game? No, it looked it was outstanding. And, you know, when I thought of this game, it's really like a vintage Mac performance. You know, it really reminded me of sort of the great teams they had in the past with sort of Asher Hastings and you know, dare I say, go back to the Kyle Quinlan days, right? I mean, that offense was just ticking. I mean, running the ball, throwing the ball, short passes, intermediate, deep passes. And, you know, Duick, you want to talk about Trey Ford kind of escaping the pocket. Let's talk about Duick's kind of, you know, maneuvering of the pocket because seeing again and again and again, you know, there were times Waterloo was getting pressure, but just, you know, slide to the left, slide to, you know, a little cha-cha slide. He's <laughs> evading guys. He's taking shots downfield. It was 
really, really a clinical performance. It was really impressive. So that's fantastic to see. Um, I got a shout out a guy as well, Zach, a former teammate of mine, a fellow Timo quarterback on uh, on my team. I think it was must have been the 2013 Timo team. Liam Putt. OK, what I think may have been his first game as receiver, obviously, he was sort of a backup quarterback for Mac. Um, bust out with 10 catches for 142 yards and two touchdowns seemingly out of nowhere. So that'll be another guy to kind of watch for that Mac offense as the season goes on. Um, obviously you mentioned the defense lastly for me, I think what really stood out to me watching this game is, you know, Trey Ford standing back and he's looking and he's looking and he's looking, and then he runs out of the pocket, even though he doesn't have to. And I think you know, obviously on the broadcast, we can't really see downfield. But what that tells me is that, you know, those MACDBs did a tremendous job, you know, kind of sealing off that explosive passing game that we're used to seeing from Waterloo. Obviously, they had a big game statistically, but, you know, aside from one deep pass to Gordon Lamb, um, sort of in the middle of the game there, there was no real kind of big plays that we're used to from this Waterloo offense. So um, really got to shout out the Mac defensive coaching staff and Scott Brady there and those DBs because they did they did despite the numbers they did a tremendous job against this Waterloo offense dare I say about as good a job as you could do I think I think that's a very valid thing to say and and you're absolutely right in, in shouting out that secondary because there's a lot of times and I, I don't know anything about defense I barely know anything about offense we've seen how I've been picking I don't know if I actually know anything about football maybe we should I, I might need to find another job here but you know watching it's always interesting to see how teams off the snap play Waterloo. And from, like I said, a, a bit of a naive point of view, it looked like their linebackers, they were really trying to stay in the box almost. To, I mean, we talked last week about like how Tommy Brainy for Laurier did look like he was at times he was spying Trey, trying to sort of mimic him. It looked like for Mac, they were trying to keep one, sometimes even two guys in there. So as you said, if they could just close off the, those deep routes or whatever it might have been, hard to tell on the broadcast, you know, at a certain point, if Trey starts to move it around, keep him in that pocket. And, and to shout out another guy who had a great performance as far as the the box play for Mac defensively, Enoch Penny Larea. Uh, I mean, one play, I think he got Trey on a sack or it might have been a tackle for loss. I don't know if it was where it was in terms of the, the, uh, the line of scrimmage, but I mean, you don't see many guys being able to chase down Trey. Um, Enoch, of course, just a standout DN though. So if, you, if, if someone is, it's going to be a guy like him. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just a, a, a really classic performance by a, a potassic led Mac team, just on all accounts. Um, so and like and like I said, speaking for myself, my coming out of this game, you know, we we talked about Mac at home and that they are really good at giving themselves a bit of an advantage playing at home. I walk out of this one just being like, man, the OUA West is going to be so dope for the rest of the year moving forward. These matchups are going to be insane. Hopefully. Maybe it's one week. Maybe it's anomaly. We'll see what happens next week. I, at least speaking for myself, been wrong on many accounts so far this year. But a beautiful game uh, and so much that uh, so much to take away. Also, shout out to jo Josh Cumber, another uh, friend of the show with the interception in this one for Mac. But we'll put a bow on that one move it to our next game as i mentioned the game i was able to attend live it was the western mustangs hosting the laurier golden hawks here in london final score the mustangs 36 the laurier golden hawks 16 now i have to imagine between this and the guelph game which we'll get to next this probably coveted the most scoreboard twitter update watching amongst people following the games just kind of taking a look at the scoring summary. 
you have Waterloo open it in the second quarter to make it 3-0 on a Dawson Hodge field goal. They extend that to 6-0, which is the score we go into halftime with. Western gets a touchdown to be able to take a, oh, or actually, pardon me, they give up a safety to uh, Laurier, then they get the touchdown. Anyways, a lot of dink and dunking in this one until the 55-yard punt return by Magnate Jones at 4.53 into the fourth quarter, which then kind of, as we said, led to Western taking over. Speaking for someone there, uh, it was a great, uh, you know, they filled the stands, which was nice to see, you know, a lot of students out there, a lot of purple, as we'd expect. And you could feel in that third quarter, it was very quiet in that place because I think a lot of people, like people following at home, were like, what on earth is going on here? Um, what were you thinking through three quarters and change of this game with Laurier either it ahead or in this dogfight with the Western Mustangs? Uh, I was confused and, you know, I sort of, I was watching the other game, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't have this one on live, um, but sort of going back and taking a look, it really was sort of a tale of two halves for Western. And, you know, you look at the stats and they still have over 500 yards of offense, but the story of the game really, and why they kind of struggled is, is turnovers. I mean, Jackson White, Obviously, if you're a Western fan, you're kind of wondering what's going to be the quarterback situation going forward. As you know, Jackson White was pulled at halftime for the freshman, Evan Hillock. And, you know, that was a result of bad turnovers, um, you know, two pretty bad picks, um, both in scoring position um, for the Western Mustangs. You know, they had a total of five turnovers on the day. And that's sort of like the opposite of Western football at its crux. So to turn the ball over like that, you know, I doesn't necessarily surprise me to to see him get pulled unfortunately um you know Laurier it was a good game from Taylor Elgus but I will say that it seems like they still are kind of playing it safe with them and you know occasionally they'll be running in sort of a second and long situation or something like that um kind of protecting him and you know from that point of view it's like uh let him loose a bit you know like let's see what he's got because late in the game yeah like i think it was, there was at one point late in the game where laurie had a second and nine and it was like okay what are we gonna see from elgosma here and they ran the ball so maybe you know he looked good i think maybe it's time you know as the week goes up weeks go on with him they'll start to open up the playbook more and more but um you know i think it was, a lot of this was western shooting itself in the foot um in the second half western was able to run the ball a lot better and i think that helped Hillock as well um you know kind of I was really impressed with him on the day and I think they're probably pretty high on him giving they they pulled Jackson White like they did I mean it because you know it wasn't absolutely abominable from Jackson White is so that makes me kind of feel like they want to see a bit of Hillock anyways um but you know I was definitely impressed throwing the ball on time look confident as throws look confident what he was looking at so um it'll be interesting to see Who's behind center for the Mustangs as sort of we go ahead here? And if I am correct in trying to remember what the schedule is, I think they actually have their bye week, which will make it even more interesting given they have now the extra time to figure out what they want to do uh, moving forward. You mentioned Hillock. Uh, really cool to see him get a start, you know, much like with Elgersma and some of these other young quarterbacks in the game. Uh, you know, it's it's nice to see a bright looking future at the at the pivot position in uh, for OUA football. Um, but you know, you talk about Western kind of shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, I was a little surprised looking at some of the stats here for the teams because I, I didn't it didn't feel like Western had a ton of penalties. But when I'm looking at it here, 
only six penalties, but somehow adding up to 109 yards, which, uh, you know, not what you expect to see in terms of, you know, helping out the other side for a Greg Marshall coach team. But then, you know, of course, when we talk about Laurier, we've kind of said this on the last two weeks uh, where we've had them slot as the underdog, where, you know, if they were to have gotten the win against Waterloo or in this one against Western, it was going to be on the shoulders of that defense. And in particular, a lot of those names that we've come accustomed to seeing ball out for this defense and those names, as I'll go over in a moment, they did just that. I mean, Tommy Bringy was very early in this one. My pick for who I was thinking was going to be the outright player of the you know the week in OUA football. He had a sack. He had a pick. He was just shutting down the run game in the first half, which going back to that Guelph game, you know, did they stop running? It was Guelph forcing them to stop running because of what they were doing or were they just not running enough? It, I was just all these thoughts of like, what is Western football? But, you know, bringing, bringing was bringing it. You know, of course, another name out there, Christian Hutter Coppin. He had a big pick with a good return. Will Mo with a forced fumble as well. Ayo Ajayi for another another great game defensively. So, you know, this with Laurier, you know, that, that recipe kind of finally, it looked like it was coming to fruition. But um, kind of similarly with the Mac game, going back to it with Western, once again, they didn't really start rolling in that one until it was a bit late in the third. And albeit Mac didn't feel as competitive for that first chunk of the game against Western as Laurier did in this game. I mean, I don't think Mac ever held a lead against them in that one. And their only points came after a fumbled punt uh, or a fumbled snap on the punt by Western that set Mac up super close. So it kind of had that same feel. And of course, as we saw last week, Western wasn't really getting it going against Guelph, and they never really did get it rolling uh, as Guelph ended up picking up that win. So maybe what we've come to learn about Western is that they are a bit of a late, that their team takes a little time to get going, um, at least on the offensive side of the ball, which now with this piece of quarterback controversy, I guess to call it that, or for lack of a better term, I, it's, it's going to be very interesting with this team moving forward. I'm not sure... Uh, I'm really not sure what to expect other than that when they commit to that ground game, it, it should be one of the best in the league. If not the best. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, exactly. If not the best. So, hey, a great outing by Laurier. And at the very least, they drew a lot of engagement to, uh, you know, our, our Twitter feed trying to keep up with this one. So hopefully we did a decent job of keeping you updated on that one. But moving to our next game, the you know, the game that was the biggest upset, not the close upset, but the actual upset. We had the Guelph Griffins falling to the Windsor Lancers in Windsor, 14 to 12. You know, first thing we should probably cover in this one um, is a question of who wasn't there for Guelph or, or who we weren't seeing on the field. Because I don't know the ins and outs of uh, of why we weren't seeing these people, but... You know, when we go back to that game against Western, one of the biggest standouts was that it looked like after a few years of, uh, you know, not quite having a solid passing game or having it figured out, it looked like that this Guelph offense under the command of Sean Law and with Keandre Smith as his number one option was going to be a legitimate passing threat in the OUA. Neither of them were on the field, or at least with Keandre, unless Keandre, unless I missed something, didn't see him out there. So that Number one, I think what stuck out to me. Uh, it looked like Mr. DeAndre Rose getting most of the snaps for them at quarterback. Uh, you know, kind of like we were saying with, with Waterloo, there was times watching this game, because I didn't get to watch this one live, caught it after the fact, where, you know, they were moving the ball well. Uh, maybe you probably, probably expect them to move it a little better against the defense we thought Windsor had, but they were moving it, and then it was just stalling out and not being able to convert points, as we were kind of saying in that Mac game, too. So... No, 
the Guelph defense was the Guelph offense was not for a complete lack of of production. Um, but just some, you know, very poorly timed penalties. And penalties is a bit of a story on both sides of this game. But you know, I'm sure all, we'll get to all these points and more. Man, what? where do you even start after this one? What are you thinking, Nate? You know, I don't want to be too disparaging, but this was a pretty ugly football game. I mean, I can't say I enjoyed watching it too much. I mean, I'm a quarterback guy, so okay, so don't be too hard on me. You know, I like my offense, but, um, you know, looking at Guelph, Zach, starting, you know, at Torrey Casati and – bailing on him before the end of the first quarter that's sort of never an ideal situation for a team kind of switching quarterbacks um before even a quarter is up then later in the game going back to him for seemingly a series or two and then going back to rose uh, guelph guelph was <laughs> confusing me uh, i'm sure they that offense was confused trying to figure out what to do um without sort of having sean law there um and i think you know, even if you told me before the game, Zach, okay, you know, Guelph doesn't have their starting quarterback. Let's say, yeah, but they'll still probably win. They can run the ball, right? But they weren't really able to do that. And, you know, hats off to the Windsor defense because, you know, that's kind of what really was the key in the game because those quarterbacks, obviously, for whatever reason, were not able to get it going for Guelph. And, you know, they weren't really able to make up for that in the run game. So, I mean, keeping anyone to 12 points in the OUA is, is a feat. So hats off to the Windsor defense and, you know, it's a, it's a well-deserved victory, I think. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's easy for the, uh, you know, as, as the Guelph alum in, in the conversation to go from, uh, you know, proud alumni to just some bummed guy, but, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Windsor on this one. Um, I, I forget who tweeted it out online last week, uh, last night after this one. But someone saying like, unless you play for Guelph, if you're not happy for Windsor in this one, you don't, you know, you don't have a heart or what, however they were. And and frankly, you know, not that I think I'm I'm quoting them verbatim on it, but I, I agree with that sentiment. You know, uh, I big fan of what JP Cercelli's building there, and and this is. I don't know. Once again, it's hard to know what to make of, of these victories. I mean, there was so many people online last night joking about the, well, so now if if Windsor beat Guelph and Guelph beat Western and Western beat Laurier, and La- like da, 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 you can drive yourself insane with that. Kind of going back to the original point of like maybe we just know nothing. But you know, you're the, this Windsor defense. You're absolutely right as far as you know, shutting down what we talked about was a bit of a. Maybe it's hyperbole. I mean, most of what we do is some form of hyperbole, but calling Guelph's running back attack a three-headed monster, but at least three very capable runners, and I don't think any of them really had much production at all. Um, I know for the Guelph side of things, it looked like their tackle, um, Matthew Famarewa, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but it looked like he went out at some point in that game. Don't can't recall if he returned, so obviously a bit of a hit for them uh, as far as their you know protection and in the run game, but much like you were saying like if 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 we knew that Sean Law wasn't going to be back in this one you still probably are thinking Guelph should be able to pick it out um just kind of based on what we saw though out of one game's production and as you said Kasadi with the start despite not many reps seeing Rose in the game versus seeing Law last week the, the biggest thing that stood out for me in just in terms of how this team looked different offensively and as well as we said they didn't have Keandre Smith which obviously 
as you know better than me, is going to be a factor in the quarter production. But it looked like what they were really missing with Law was it didn't feel like Rose or Cassati wanted to go deep the way that Law was last week on those corner routes. And he wasn't hitting everyone, but you know it only takes one of those to make a, a big splash play. All of a sudden, you're in range for a field goal. You know They got a guy like Strands, who we talked about a ton last week. He's an incredible guy. So as far as finishing drives with points, it, you know, it felt like that deep threat. Like I said, I thought at times Rose was looking good. He's spraying the ball when he had protection. He moved well as as well when he was under pressure but you know it just felt like lull brought them that deep threat as well and not having smith there i'm no doubt uh, affects it too but what, what would what would you say is the biggest thing that stood out from what you saw with lull in in that offense versus without him what i talked about last week with Wall is sort of law is sort of the anticipation of throws the ball's always coming out on time with him it's going to a place where it's supposed to go um looking at casati early in the game looked like someone to me who wasn't very comfortable I mean, you know, missed uh, sort of an out route early that got picked um, at another point in the game. You know, they ran his own slice, slice play, sorry. And, uh, you know, he tries to dump the ball off to the, the very shallow receiver staying about five, six yards from him, puts it in the turf. You know, to me, that's that's just not a guy who's comfortable at the moment. And looking at Rose, looked okay at times, you know, and I think he made a good point, made some good plays with his leg. And threw a touchdown that very well could have led to them tying the game, yeah. but was called back for an offside penalty. Um, but I would say a similar thing. Like for him, it was, it was the balls were not coming out of time. It was holding the ball, holding the ball, holding the ball, or, you know, a couple times just checking it down very early. Um, just too good. Like I just, you know, we talk about sort of how Carlton was limited by the quarterback play. I kind of felt the same way. You know, whenever, you know, you draw things up as a coordinator, you expect the ball to go places at a certain time. And that's the windows are going to be there at a certain time and in a certain place. And if, you know, you have to be able to anticipate to do that. And it didn't really look like either quarterback was comfortable with those things. And it was really the difference in this one for me. Absolutely. No question about it. Yeah. Well, I mean... Man, what does this mean in the grand scheme of things? Who knows? But a hell of a weekend for Windsor Lancer football. I saw some stats online about this being their last win against a non-York or Toronto team and however long and apparently the last time it was a non-York or Toronto team it was Guelph as well back in 20 whatever it was so you know some kind of something going on there when these two teams meet maybe it's because both Guelph and Windsor named their stadium alumni stadium or alumni field so maybe that's what connects them in this weird kindred way but uh, nonetheless great night for Windsor football and uh, yeah Guelph uh, looks like back to the drawing board. We thought some of the questions were answered with them, but uh, we're back at it. And actually, before we hop into our last game, I realized I didn't go over all the lines and all the over-unders from the previous game, save for the Panda. So just to do a little recap on some of those, going back to our Mac-Waterloo game, that one, we had it set as Mac plus four and a half. So if you bet on Mac, you got it by virtue of the win. Over-under on the points, 42 and a half points. Once again, the final on that one was Mac 34, Waterloo 13. So we're going over there by a you know eh, decently comfortable margin and Cole Crossett the kicker for Waterloo was set at over under two and a half field goals he went one for one on the day so hopefully you took the under on that back to our Western Laurier game we had Western minus 11 and a half points which looked like a ridiculous number for most of that game but they came out bailed us out on that one so hopefully you bet on the ponies on that one over under on the point spread 43 and a half so we're comfortably over there and then we had Deontay Knight over under on the sacks set at one and a half. He clearly saw it knowing he had to get the second one and he did. So hopefully you went over under on the big dog number seven from Western there. 
And lastly, in the game we just covered, Windsor versus Guelph. <sighs> Mr. Sam Gerard already on social media making us eat crow on this one. But, uh, you know, even as even as a vegan, I'll, I'll share in the crow eating here. We set this one as Windsor plus 13 and a half. So thinking what Guelph was going to win by 14 points. Boy, were we ever wrong. We went under on the point spread as well, calling it over under at 38 and a half. Uh, and then AJ Allen, despite all the tackles he racked up in the game as a whole, we went over under two and a half tackles for a loss, and he went right on the money with two and a half tackles for a loss in that one in particular. So just catching up on some of the lines that we had set for this game, but now jumping into our final game of the evening, your Mr. Nate Hobbs, your Queens Golden Gales visiting the U of T Varsity Blues at Varsity Stadium, downtown Toronto, four o'clock start, rivalry game. We thought this was going to be a fun one. We thought maybe Queens was going to be drinking at Duke of York afterwards, having a couple pints. And while I don't think you made the surprise trip back from Vienna to attend, I'm sure they were happily singing their Queens Gales songs that you regaled us with a couple weeks ago after a 35 to 11 this one I will call beatdown of the Varsity Blues. We talked about how in some of these other games, or actually let me not make the mistake I made previously, we set the line on this one as UFT plus five and a half, so Queens would have won you your bet there. Over under on the on the game for points, 37 and a half. Queens almost took the over on that themselves. And then Clay Sikara, quarterback for the UFT Blues, over under on yards in the air at 267 and a half. He went under on 214. This would yep. be an interesting yeah. time to mention, too, that this game ended with 10 minutes left. So, you know, not hitting those numbers, part of a result of that as well. And, <laughs> you know, due to obviously due to a medical emergency, sort of a situation, um, serious situation there. Um, Zach, had you received any? I, I know we put a tweet out. I was wondering if that was you or Dakota that had made that tweet that had maybe some news at all about that situation no i i no i i don't know anything other than as you said we were updated after not really knowing what was going on that it was due to a medical emergency i think pretty much right after rasheed tucker's last touchdown is when the game stopped so yes of course you know um all joking aside hopefully that that is resolved in the best possible outcome for whomever that was and whatever happened um and uh yes for those out there betting you know we'll have to make you know, we'll make an adjustment there for what would happen in such a situation because yes clay obviously coming short on those yards uh who knows what he does with 10 extra minutes in this one but as i was kind of setting up this final you know despite as far as the point difference being close to a couple other games we had in this one was a resounding beatdown start to finish and we we mentioned his name there uh in talking about his second touchdown on a touchdown of the game but can we just say Rasheed Tucker is the best running back in Ontario right now? I mean, there's a couple couple guys in, in Western here in, in London with me that you know might be vying for that position as well. There's a guy in Ottawa who had a hell of a performance uh, yesterday as well, uh, and, and no doubt some other guys that I'm, I'm you know I won't even you know try mentioning everyone. But when we look week after week, can we say can we? There's so little we can say we know for sure in this league, Nate. Can we say that Rasheed Tucker is the best running back right now? How do we feel about that? Where's our confidance on that? I'm not afraid to say it. I mean, yeah, Rasheed Tucker is the best running back in the OUA. And, you know, for good reason. I mean, the guy, 
He's a resident of, of the Chatham House at Queen's University. And from what, you know, I remember during my time there, you know, maybe I lived there, maybe yeah, I did it, but it produces the best players on the team. So, uh, you know, obviously it was a good fit for him to move in there. And, you know, because he did, now he's the best running back in the OUA. So we're all very happy for him, of course. And, you know, just to actually read out the numbers, I mean, 24 attempts, 194 yards total, two touchdowns. The attempts and yards averages out to 8.1 yards per carry. I mean, oh my goodness. You know, I know we kind of talked about this a little bit with, you know, maybe we were a little high on Waterloo after a bit of a soft schedule for the beginning of their season. I mean, I don't know what we make of that take after seeing what Laurie almost did to Western and what they did for most of that game. But, you know, and, and we could say, okay, Toronto's been a little disappointing this year, or maybe they've been what we've expected. I don't really know. But man, those are big numbers. I don't care who you're putting up against them. 24 attempts, 194 yards, two touchdowns. And it, it allowed Keenan to, you know, kind of resume that same position that we've talked about him in, where you don't need him to be, you know, uh, earth shattering. It kind of part of the reason why when we did last week talking about some of those QB tiers, I was having trouble where to put him because he's been so solid but without necessarily being spectacular and not having the track record either to be like, yeah, we know this guy is dope. He's just maybe, but man, oh man, holy cow. Queens is, Queens is sitting on top of the OUA East and, and, and man, it's, they, they, they look good, man. I mean, I really don't know how else to put it. The, the, the take on this game, it's, it's, it's hard to really see too much else of this. Yeah, and, you know, I got to shout out those Queens O-linemen, too. You know, Jacob Butler, Josh Mosley, uh, Wedge, Jonathan Wedgbury doing a great job there. And I think, you know, it's disappointing for U of T because kind of looking at the beginning of this game, you know, they really almost handicapped themselves. I mean, you look at the couple drives early. They started their first couple drives with big penalties, you know, weren't really able to do anything. And then you mentioned James Keenan, who early in the game threw his first interception of the season. Um, which, you know, was, hmm, is, is around midfield, is Toronto going to be able to kind of make them pay on this? And lo and behold, the next play is a pick six for Queens. <laughs> so, you know, Toronto not doing themselves any favors early. And I think against this Queens team, um, you know, you I don't think you're really going to be able to have much success if you let them get ahead early in the game. Um, from what we've seen with them so far in this offense, you know, playing mis- mistake-free, being able to hold on to the ball, you know, look at the time of possession in this game. Queens has more than double, more than double University of Toronto's possession in the game. Um, that's really impressive. And, you know, you know, just starting off so poorly early in the game for Toronto really hurt them. We could talk about, you know, another situation, faking a punt early in the game that was seemingly going for 30 yards, setting up Toronto great territory. The punter fumbles it at the end of the run. You know, it was just sort of, you know, a bunch of, a chain reaction of mistakes early on for University of Toronto that really kind of set them back in this one. Um, and we saw sort of that powerful offense that we're used to um, kind of suffer as a result. It really kind of became one dimensional because, you know, you the blink of an eye and you're down 17, nothing. Um, it was a lot of clay trying to find Corby on the day, you know, clay with 214 yards, 156 of those are to will Corby. That's well. Yeah. I mean, that's sick, right? I mean, for Corby is <laughs> stuff, but like for an offense, that's, kind of concerning it you know what I mean so um hopefully that's just sort of a, a result of being down early in the game and we kind of see them start to mix things up more in the future but 
Um, I agree with you. Queens looks really good. And, you know, in this East right now, I, I don't really see too much thick competition for them at the moment. I know. I, I, I think especially going back to with the news with Carlton, with losing Tanner de Jong, I, I mean, oh man yeah queens is looking really good in the east i really don't know what to say else about it i mean you know i i'll give i'll give uh will corby a personal shout out of course because you know i i wanted to take the underdog in this one i mean i did go with them and you know he was trying to single-handedly you know will will the victory to you know prove me right in this one but alas he could only do so much he had you know did his best. And I, I appreciate the effort out there, Corby, and the rest of the bird gang. You still still have love here at, at the fifty five, but uh, yeah. So it seems like out of coming out of this week, the moral of the story is the OUA West is a big just question mark. The OUA East looks like a big Q, a big uh, OKG maybe even. But there is still plenty of this year to play out, and man, oh man, I can't wait to see how it does. Make sure you are following us on our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the 55 Podcast. We'll keep you up to date during the games on the weekend. If you can't watch them live, you can see our picks throughout the week, who our top performers are, what our spreads are for the games, everything fun like that on the website as well. Make sure you're checking that out so you can read the blog posts, buy merchandise, support the brand, support Stella's place, non-profit, and support young people with their mental health by providing them with resources and support. So that'll do it for our wrap here. We will see you later this week. Have a good bye.